0: family and friends uh, the sermon today is entitled gospel eyes let's bow our heads for prayer Lord God um, I ask that your spirit would move on me in me and work through me in spite of me may we hear and may that your power uh, change us I pray in Jesus name Amen John chapter 9 um, has an experience of with the disciples and Jesus as they're passing through as they normally are. He's speaking in different places. Begin with just verses, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, and we'll pick up from there later. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We were alone, Dad and I. Toward the end, that was a rare thing. The hospital room was usually filled with family. On occasion, there would be a visit from a close friend, but late that afternoon, it was just dad and I. The sounds of the medical machines marking time with those beeps that you've heard, the hums and the constant display screens, displaying and flashing um, discouraging numbers a hard time, but at least we were together. Looking at the data, even though I'm a minister, having pastored where I've been, I've been in way too many hospital rooms and with people in death and dying. So even to my untrained eyes, I could read those lines. And the message in the numbers was, it's bad. You may not have him much longer. My lifelong hero, my pastor, my preacher, my teacher, homiletics teacher even, my dad, Father friend. It's hard to talk about even now, um, as five years have passed. But I think that it may be important, not only to me, but to you as well, to hear what he said that afternoon. As much as he was suffering with cancer, he was fighting it like he fought anything that needed to be fought. He was fighting it tenaciously. As I looked from the medical technology beside him, he asked how things were going at the conference. I was the president of Ohio then. I said that it had been hard, but it had been absolutely amazing that there had been many miracles along the way, and I praised God for that. And and as I told him that, I, in my heart, was thinking, I wish one of those miracles would be the healing of my father. I said, it's been hard, though. I've never seen it so hard in the church. And then I shared with him preacher to preacher, pastor to pastor, and heart to heart. That's only Dad and I could share together. I had never wanted to be a president. I had never wanted to be a pastor. Um, God has taken me to the places of my pain, you see. I, I had seen too much growing up as a PK pastor's kid. As a young person, I hated all of the hypocrisy I, I saw in the church, and people knowing how to give the right answers at Sabbath school, but those same people meaner than skunks. Things done in the name of Jesus that were so unlike Jesus. It was, in fact, just really some strict people, Pharisees, finding religious ways to take the Lord's name in vain by calling themselves Christians and and hurting people that Jesus died to save. There was a lot that I could have said, but my dad was already going through enough pain. And besides, he knew what I was talking about better than I did, for he had been in the battle much longer than I. But as bad as it ever got, dad always loved God, always loved his church. He he always believed that God could do great things in it. I remember he he looked up at me and his eyes were clear in spite of the pain, in spite of all the medications. And and he was looking at me and I could see that his mind was working. His his heart was working. He he was working hard to respond to what I had shared. and then he said, when he spoke, and what he said, I knew that God was working through my dad again to speak words of truth. He, God always loved working through him that way. He looked knowingly at me, and and then um, those of you who know him well know when he's thinking hard. He look up and around and down, and checking out those files in the mind. He was thinking hard, seeking just the right words. He was a wordsmith and shrugging off serious pain. He said to me, son, they they can't help themselves. They just don't have gospel eyes. They don't see it. They don't have gospel eyes. I looked at my dad. He had gospel eyes. I mean... He knew what grace was. He he had been saved by it, saved from gangs to God. That that wasn't just some title for a book. That that was his life experience. And and he was never fooled. That New York gang leader, and New Yorkers can talk pretty straight. He, He was never fooled by all the sanctimonious dribble and baloney, phony baloney, as he would have called it, that you can hear in the church and on committees. He had gospel eyes. He had a way of seeing treasure in people. He saw treasure in the person, where many church people would only see the trash. It's just one of the things that I loved about him. It's one of the things that I miss. From the time I was old enough to remember, I saw him see differently God had given him gospel eyes at his conversion. I mean, as a kid in New York, I watched him preach his heart out. And those of you who ever heard him preach, I mean, everything into it, even no ounce of energy apart from it. And when he's done, back then, the early times it was like that the line, the cord for a microphone has to disconnect because he saw gang, heroin high gang leaders in the audience, and he wanted to get out the side door, around out the alley, and up the steps to be able to tell him how glad he was that they had come, and I saw him race off. I didn't know why at the time. And it's just like him, jumping over trash cans. <laughs> he was younger then. I remember with, I remember the church. I can see it now. I know which borough it was in. It got to those steps, and and there were those, there were five high, heroin-high gangbangers, or four or five of them, and there were five of them. I remember it. And he told them how glad he was that they had come and that that Jesus loved them. And he didn't know if they would remember anything when they came down. Praying, asking us, even children, to pray that they would come back. And they did. I remember how four of those five were baptized. And three of those five became ministers. Dad saw things differently because he had gospel eyes. Why else would you have your wife pull up the car in front of Black Panther headquarters in Harlem, New York in the late 60s and and have your kids sitting in that jalopy of a pastor's car we had sitting out in Harlem very few white families there, Harlem, in front of Black Panther headquarters in the late 60s, so he could go inside while mom would sit behind the wheel with the engine running and we locking, no automatic locks, back ready and watching in case we had to get out of there because it wasn't safe. The world needed gospel eyes then, when it came to color, needs gospel eyes now. I remember seeing dad with his Bible go into that headquarters I remember seeing that weapons expert later in those meetings baptized. Hmm. I mean, what kind of dad brings his lily white family to Black Panther headquarters in Harlem in the late 60s? My dad, that's who. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. He, he was teaching his children lessons on, on a different way of seeing. And, and I didn't know what it, to call it then but I know now because in some of the last conversation with my dad he told me what the difference was it's called gospel eyes how many of you ever had your dad have your your mom and you all your siblings in the car drive up to a house of prostitution so your dad can go witness to a hooker some of you know the story you know her name is Goldie he saw pure gold because that's what Jesus Christ sees. And she gave her life to Jesus right there in that house of prostitution, which just shows you how powerful Jesus is and, and how powerful the gospel is and, and that people can be saved anywhere, anytime, which is really good news because if we are depending on them all being in the church and especially now in COVID, no, God has a further reach than that. But he needs some children with gospel eyes. I remember there in New York having to move out of my bedroom more than once for heroin addicts that dad was helping get clean. They they got clean, but my room, that was another that was another story. He was showing me how to see. He saw it differently because he had gospel eyes. I, So when I lost my dad, I just lose my dad, I lost the one who showed me, who taught me how to see. And there in that hospital room there, toward the end, he was sharing what it was. The reason for his absolutely passionate, sold out for Jesus' dedicated life, what that was all about and and how he could go on. He looked up from that hospital bed and he, he said to me, son, many of them mean well. They they just can't help themselves. They don't have gospel eyes. I've thought a lot about what he said that day. And the conclusion I have come to is this. Not only can they not help themselves, they cannot help anyone else until they have a healing of their eyes. Maybe like Paul, they have to have a Damascus road. They have to have go blind first in order to be able to see. But people without gospel eyes, no matter if they put Christian or whatever, whatever stripe it is, including address, if they have that name without the gospel eyes, they are rebuking the very word of God with their lives. They can't help anyone. Not even themselves. Jesus called it the blind leading. It's been a problem for a long time. I want you to go back with me to John chapter 9. I want us to work through and highlight some verses because it's a long chapter. We'll begin again, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll move on to verse 6 and following. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents? He was born blind. These are the guys that hang out with them all the time they're blind too he talked to them and then in six this is what it says when he had said these things he spat on the ground now comes the miracle that was the grossest miracle in all of scripture to me as a kid I, I couldn't stand it my mom would now and then spit and try to put my hair down I I, I it just grossed me out I mean I I almost have PTSD just from that. So, so it's like, when I read this as a child, when I heard this story as a child, this just grossed me out. I mean, he doesn't have to spit in the mud. He can heal, just like, be healed. Don't go spitting. Spits in the mud, makes clay out of his saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man that day. He said to him, Go. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which is kind of a neat play on words, because translated, it means sent. Go, I'm sending you. Wash the clay off. Receive your sight. And he came back seeing the power of Jesus. Dropping down to verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes Then the Pharisees also asked him um, how he had received his sight. And, And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Imagine, the Lord of the Sabbath, you're accusing of breaking the Sabbath. I mean, how sick is this? You'd have to be blind. I mean... He heals a man, and the Pharisees, what, are they happy? They're rejoicing in God that this man who's been blind from birth has had this amazing miracle. No, they are criticizing and attacking Jesus Christ himself and attacking this man who's been healed. Then some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such miracles? They're wrestling now. And there was a division among Going to the last of the chapter, closing scene. Jesus said, so this is important, red letters. This is what he said. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see and those who may who see may be made blind. And some of the Pharisees, they'd been to school. They said, who were with him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Don't miss this. This is conclusion of his sermon. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains. It can't be good. If Jesus, the Savior of the world, looks at you and says, because you say you're not blind, you won't let me heal you, your sin remains. If there's anyone saying your sin remains, you you don't want it to be Jesus. Those Pharisees, those Sadducees, those Badducees, as I've come to call them, all those in in John chapter 9, including, get this, including the 12 disciples, the inner circle of Jesus Christ, every last one of them, if you ask me, could have used Jesus to put some of that mud onto their eyes too because they needed new spiritual sight. They needed gospel eyes. They needed a miracle and jesus he can only heal who will let him heal you have to be willing because jesus he could save anyone he can give these eyes to anyone he can give you heavenly sight if you will ask for it and let him touch you you know jesus taking the disciples all over the place three and a half years. He's taken his disciples everywhere and he's trying to teach them what to look for and how to look for those people. And for three and a half years, those disciples followed him all over Galilee, Judea, even Samaria. You name it, he took them. One day, they were getting out of the boat on the wrong side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus always taking them places they're not comfortable with. Takes them to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where all the pagans are. They get out of the boat and, and suddenly those 12 disciples, they look up and they see this man, demon-possessed. He's running at them and he's got chains hanging from him. And 12 disciples figure, this guy hasn't studied his Sabbath school lesson this week. So they start to run. But they're not running toward the man, they're running away. Before they had gospelized, they were always running in the wrong direction. Always moving in the wrong direction. Always asking the wrong questions. Trying to pinpoint a sin of a guy that is blind, rather than to see him saved by grace and not seeing how blind they were. Jesus, only one who doesn't run. That's because Jesus saw things and people differently. I mean, those 12 disciples, they saw a man, matted hair, looked like he'd been in quarantine for maybe a year, you know. <laughs> he comes with his long, matted hair. He's got chains on. He's got wild eyes, and he's running at them. He's unbathed, crazy dangerous. And those disciples, they look up, and they think, ooh, time to go. I mean, this is death running at us. But Jesus didn't run. Because he could see. You see, he saw that it it wasn't death running toward them. It was a dead man that needed to come to life. If they had had gospel eyes, they could have seen that. They only saw the chains and and the matted hair, and the broken chains. And and, and, and not somebody who would end up being the greatest witness, imagine If this man comes back to town, saved, clean, no chains, in his right mind, talking Jesus Christ, imagine the testimony. The most powerful testimony his friends or people in his community could ever have from that man. They could only see the chains and hear the satanic screams, but Jesus, he could see the chains completely broken. And someone who was going to be a great witness a beautiful disciple Jesus saw the world differently he saw people differently he took his disciples to Samaria (laughs) and and, and he had to keep them you know kind of out in the car so to speak when he got there because he he has to send them off to go get groceries he didn't say this but he could have said there's a Samaritan woman coming here and she needs to be saved and and you guys get in the way of people's salvation rather than help me Whoa. So you go off to the store and get us a picnic so I can save somebody. How bad is it when Jesus has to get us disciples out of the way so he can save somebody? So he sends him to the store, and I imagine those guys are thinking, man, that's not a kosher store, Jesus. I mean, there's no kosher store here. And he led that woman to the living water that he is. He, He healed her sight, too. He, he didn't just see how many husbands she had had or the current user in her life. He, he wasn't reading her resume. He was reading her need. The beauty of Jesus. He saw her. That's why she could see him. And suddenly she's another amazing witness. I mean, whole town. The when the town gossip had been, brings them to the gospel. whole town sees the light, has a drink of living water. Come back and see the man who told me everything that's happened in my life. And, and he's not just your normal scribe or Pharisee. I mean, this is a Jew that loves Samaritans. This is a Jew that sees differently. We need gospel eyes, you know, all kinds of, yeah, let's go make some more laws. Let's do whatever. We need gospel eyes, for that is what makes the difference. In Jerusalem, in Samaria, in America, he comes here. He has the gospel. No, not only is he God. Have gospel eyes. He's the gospel, and he has eyes. Come on, come on, come. I mean, this is our chance. Well, maybe today is our chance. Maybe this is our chance. I mean, the world desperately needs a church that is filled with disciples who have gospel eyes. You know, church, we can keep living without them, but all we'll end up with is a dry, set in concrete institution and not a church, not a living body. And we won't have Pentecost without Gospelized because without Gospelized, we would not be safe with Pentecost. We could end up with a highly organized group of people. Big deal. We could have even some beautiful buildings. So what? A germ we can't even seek and shut those buildings down. But what we need is amazing grace. Without it, gospelized, we won't have amazing grace. And without amazing grace, all we'll have is some religious club as dysfunctional and mean as any worldly club. Without grace, you—you you, even if you've never clubbed in your whole life, you end up clubbing other people. That's what Pharisees do. And if you think that's going to impress Jesus, if you'll impress Jesus with that counterfeit, you think again. We need gospelized maybe two years ago now my oldest grandson Noah uh, I have three boys they have my heart Um, I live for duo is that it duo and I live for uh FaceTime I live for them to be with me but when I can't I have that anyway Noah was early on in school and and they were noticing that and often catch it there that they thought he may need glasses and so they told my son and my daughter-in-law They made an appointment, they went to an optometrist, and he had his eyes tested, and they found out that he needed glasses. They got him two sets, nice, brightly colored glasses, a lot of fun, tried to make it fun, told him how great it's going to be, that life is going to be better than before. You are going to enjoy life more now. You are going to see and enjoy, and, and he wasn't sold on the idea. So they're trying to talk positively to him about how much it's going to make his life better, and it's not working. So parents can get pretty inventive. I remember hearing that, you know, um, that genius is basically 10% inspiration, 90% perspiration. No, I think after being a parent myself, it's 10% inspiration, 90% desperation. And so they're desperate, And, and so they're trying to come up with something that will work. And they did. They said to Noah, if you'll wear your glasses, we'll take you to Disneyland. How does that sound? Now, to me, that sounds like bribery. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. But it worked. Oh, he wore his glasses to go to Disneyland. When he got back from Disneyland, he wanted Dad to do on me right away. And I, I couldn't wait. I'm, I'm glad to hear. It didn't matter that it was a little later. I'm on the East Coast. Then. And, and he, he says, Papa. Papa. I went to Disneyland with glasses. I went on pirates. I never knew there was so much treasure on pirates. I mean, his world had changed. He'd seen some treasure before, but now he says, treasure, there's treasure everywhere. There's treasure everywhere. There is, there really is. What do we need? We need Jesus to heal our eyes so we can see how much treasure there is everywhere so that we will actually love life more, maybe some of that to the fullest life more because if you have the gospel and it's changed your eyes, it changes your life, your heart. It changes your soul. So what do we need? We need gospel eyes. We need to cry out like blind Bartimaeus who did that in Luke chapter 18. You remember that story? Jesus is coming to Jericho. Some amazing things happen to Jericho. I mean, he saves a chief tax collector. He parties with tax collectors and sinners. You get this? I mean, he's really messing with their sick minds and their blind eyes. So he's coming to town, and, and Bartimaeus is blind, and, and he's a beggar. And, and there he is. He hears that Jesus is coming. There's a crowd like normal. And, and so what does Bartimaeus do? He, this is my chance, he's thinking, and he's crying out, Jesus, Son of David. This is not just any phrase. Is this is Messiah King. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Never been to a seminary in his whole life. He knows what to ask for. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what do his disciples do? Even as a kid, this really bugged me. Quiet, quiet. Jesus is busy, can't you? Oh, you can't see that. And what does Jesus have to do? Please get this, you you heard it in John 9, you saw it with a Samaritan woman and now here with Bartimaeus, leave him alone. Bartimaeus, what do you want? Jesus, son of David, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus without mud this time, looks at Bartimaeus and says, Receive your sight. Maybe this is our chance. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, son of David, help your church. Help us disciples. Help this disciple. Maybe this is our chance. Jesus, son of David, save us from ourselves. And through his word, because this is a living word, he says today, what is it that you want? Here's our chance. What is it that you want from me, disciple? Master, that we may receive our sight. What do you want, disciple? Jesus, that you would give us gospel eyes, Lord Jesus, Laodiceans blind in need of nothing. Jesus, disciples come in between you and those you try to save, forgive us. Jesus, us disciples who see the blindness in others and not our own, we are desperate. The world is desperate. The world is desperate, Jesus, for a church that has your heart, your mind, and your eyes. So Jesus, Son of David, save us from ourselves. and Save us for our sake, but more than that, save us for their sake. And save us for heaven's sake. I ask you would heal our church and that it would start with me. I ask you give us gospel eyes in your saving miraculous name. Amen. Amen.